0: Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Gazenza, joined as always by John Sheeran, my co host. He and I are in a bit of distress this week based on what happened Sunday, but uh, how are you doing otherwise, John?
1: Otherwise, I don't know. It's COVID's ram- rampaging through the country right now. The Bengals are two, six, and one, but eh, at least it was sunny today. So, well, took, took, a, took a nice walk, you know, felt, felt the sun a little bit. It's nice. Yep
0: that's that's kind of necessary despite being safe. you know it's kind of necessary to get out, get some exercise, get some fresh air here here and there, of course safely. I uh, hope everyone else out there is doing okay, doing uh, doing as well as they can given everything going on. but uh, as John mentioned, the Bengals are coming off a tough loss. We're gonna break that that down. We're going to talk about a stat of the week and we are going to preview the game against the Washington football team. We're going to try and keep it a tiny bit lighter this week because we had two really long episodes the past two Wednesdays, the mega shows that we had with all of the hosts within the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Hey, do us a favor for those of you joining in live. We are streaming now to a Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. We're streaming to the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel, and we're trying out to stream to our orange and black insider Twitter account. So if you are, if you happen to be watching us from that Twitter account, shoot us a little comment just saying, hey, I see you or you guys suck or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say to us. But uh, if you could let us know that you could see us there that would be awesome because uh, we're trying to stream out to a bunch of different areas here and spread the live recording watching for all of you out there. John, I guess let's just get right to it, shall we? Bengals put up a pretty embarrassing performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 36-10 is the final. Uh, defense kept a in it, believe it or not, early on. And especially with all the injuries, the COVID stuff that was hitting the team and, and the coaches being gone. Uh, we'll go into more specifics here in just a second. But, you know, familiar mistakes bad weather, all of that. What are your overall impressions and takeaways from this game here as we sit here on Wednesday?
1: I'm I'm laughing a little bit because we had a comment in the comment section saying, Hey, look, it's a Steelers receiver doing a crossing route. Is he covered yet? (laughs) I don't know. Like I've, I've I've watched this, these two teams play for the better part of my life now. And it seems like it's basically the same story. Nine times out of 10, hasn't changed in the last five years or 11 times these two teams have met and going into this game it wasn't a lot of reason to believe it would be very much different. you would think that with a new quarterback and with a roster that has largely been fresh in terms of not playing in this rivalry not knowing the history behind it, some things may change the mentality would change but no it's 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 the same you know the Bengals have gotten pretty used to playing the Steelers coming off of their bye week like this is like the third time in the last five we- years that has happened. And like like we said, they've lost every single one of them. They've been accustomed to just looking sluggish and unprepared coming off of the break, and especially playing this team in general. They consistently get outclassed in every phase of the game. Where it comes to coaching and execution, all three units of this team had mighty struggles during this game. Special teams started out with like three straight mistakes on three different units. The offense couldn't get anything going until I think the beginning of the second quarter. And like you said, the defense kept them in it for a little bit and, and helped out the offense when they were struggling. But unfortunately, you know, when you have two backup cornerbacks playing against a team that doesn't really make many mistakes in the passing game, it, it's going to lead to points eventually. And that's what happened. They scored 36 points. So like there was some minor optimism because of how well they played against a winning team two weeks ago. But. This is still the same dynamic with this rivalry, and nothing has changed. It's and it's, it really is hard to call it a rivalry at this point. But the Steelers have won like
0: eleven straight, I think, right?
1: Eleven straight, and I think the Bengals have only won eight times since Marvin Lewis took over in two thousand and three. It's like it, it it's a rivalry in name itself. It, the, c- because I don't believe that a rivalry is only a matchup between two teams that have a lot of animosity with with one another. Like the 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 bare definition of a rivalry is that. It's two it's two entities that are in the same class with the, with one another. And this is just not the case. It's just two teams that hate each other, but one team looks to the other and they don't take it seriously. Like Steven Nelson, the cornerback for the Steelers, he called Joe Burrow trash. And why why wouldn't he? He's only played them against him once and he played terrible. And he was one of the biggest reasons why they were so ineffective in this game. Like the Steelers have every right to look at the Bengals and call them a second class organization, a second class team, because the the Bengals just aren't competitive against them. And it's just not changing anytime soon.
0: So our stat of the week is going to kind of point to really the disparity between not only the Bengals, but really another team that's kind of the class of the AFC. So we'll we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But I I guess, you know, the optimist says injuries, bad weather, inexperienced team, COVID, coaches being off off the sidelines, it didn't make the trip, just a perfect storm of a lot of issues. But – Those of us who have seen a lot of Bengals football have watched a lot of Bengals football. uh, You know, you can point to, like you said, coming sluggish out of a bye. That's pretty inexcusable despite all of that, uh, that I just mentioned going against you. The the mental, uh, a lot of these mistakes are mental, John, that you mentioned. You know, the errors by special teams, probably the most sound unit on the football team normally. Um, the, The errors all over the place. And they just let things snowball, especially against this, particular team so I guess you know we were we were lauding the coaching staff last uh, well the last game they played against the Titans for getting a win against what seemed like a quality team you come back out you at least expect a respect a respectable showing they didn't do that I mean what do you are you kind of saying yeah all of those factors were kind of the reason why are you saying it's more on the coaching staff
1: as you looked at how
0: Sunday played out or the players I know.
1: It's the players like I I (laughs) there were definitely some questionable calls by the refs that that definitely didn't go the Bengals way. But I I looked at that game and I'm thinking like even even if every call is going the Bengals way, they're still getting beat by two scores at at minimum in this game. It it was it just was not fair from the very beginning from not fair because one team was just so much better than the other. Like it's as simple as that. Like Zach Taylor has yet to show with his coaching staff that they become ready in games like this. And it's, I don't know, man. uh, Like both teams had to deal with the conditions out there. And like Ben didn't seem to have any trouble throwing against the wind, except for maybe one. It was like a deep pass down the right sideline, but it definitely shook Burrow to his core. He was just uncharacteristically inaccurate throughout the entire game. And we don't know how much of that was impacted from his ankle bothering him in the second half. Cause it clearly looked like it, he was limping at, at certain points and taking a long time to get up from certain hits. Um, it, like it, it's just hard to, to, to focus on some of those things when it, it, it's just so clear and evident that this team was just not ready to play this game.
0: Which to me seems pretty inexcusable, whether you want to blame the players or the coaches. I mean, this is, the biggest or one of the biggest probably a top 3 game on your schedule every year going to pittsburgh at a minimum is in the top 3 uh especially if you want to have any kind of a successful season your your noting of the team being ill prepared and stumbling over themselves uh really it's, it wasn't a true primetime game but 4 425 eastern uh going into the evening right before the sunday night football kickoff i mean that a lot of eyes We're probably on that game for a while before it it started to go away, especially with Joe Burrow versus Big Ben storyline. I didn't prep you for this one, John, before the show, and I apologize, but I'm going to share something you put out on your Twitter a couple of days ago because I thought it was excellent, and I thought that this was – and I guess we're maybe beating a dead horse a little bit by sharing this, but I don't really care because I thought it was well done by you. Uh, There is a narration with this tweet, but I'm going to let you narrate for us on, uh, on the show itself. This was a sequence of plays, I believe, and I'll let you kind of tee it up and walk us through it a little bit. This was a sequence of plays in the late – where are we at? Yeah, mid mid to late second quarter. Bengals are down 19-7, to and this was a sequence of events where the Bengals were trying to crawl back in this game. They got a little headway. You can see they're close to midfield. And this sequence of events, John, I think really – even though the Bengals may have lost – the game even if they were successful on this drive this sequence of events to me is what spelled doom for the team so um, I'm going to play this and share this if you want to maybe walk us through some of this if you don't mind because I thought it was very well done by you
1: so the situation here is that the Bengals scored their first and only touchdown the game at the beginning of the second quarter Steelers responded with a touchdown their own but at this point, the Bengals have had some success moving the ball on offense. Now they're, they find themselves at midfield with like a second and two. Well, after the game, many people are like, oh, the Steelers and refs won this game. Like this was a penalty on the Bengals, but it was a clear hold by Alex Redmond. And I, I don't think, I know Redmond was out there for, because like they just need all the bodies that they can get out there. But this is what you have to expect with Redmond. Despite some positives in the run game, he he is a penalty artist. And he's that's been the way it has been for his entire career. So this penalty turned a second and short conversion to a first down to a second and long. That was the Bengals just just hurting themselves right there. It it wasn't any help from the refs. It was they got called for an obvious holding. Second and long now, you have an opportunity for Joe Burrow to connect with Tyler Boyd here. They're going to run double China, which is just two ends from the two outside receivers on the trip side of the formation. And Tyler Boyd is going to run a corner route and he's lined up against the linebacker. And it should have been a clear key for Burrow, who's reading the coverage here, that they have inside leverage against Mike Thomas, who Burrow's going to throw to. And Tyler Boyd has outside leverage against the linebacker and coverage. It should have been a clear alert for Burrow to throw to Boyd here to convert this long second and long but instead burrow tries to force into mike thomas people wanted a, a defensive pass interference but the quarterback has positioning on that play and it's an incomplete it's within to five form,
0: yards too right yeah I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. He, he tried to force something that wasn't there and that was kind of the theme for burrow is that Steelers secondary was just showing him things that he wasn't used to seeing and he couldn't really react in time. So now it's third and long and the Steelers pass rush didn't really get to him that often early in the game but I mean, this was just one of the examples of the Bengals' offensive line continuing to be unprepared and when facing stunts. And Michael Jordan and Hakeem Energy, bad communication there, led to Bud Dupree just coming clean around and then forcing Burrow to get pressure, and then T.J. Watt cleans it up. So that was a second and short at midfield. The Bengals have an opportunity to get into scoring position and to kind of narrow that game a little bit more going into halftime. And then they just punted it away, and the Steelers kick a field goal.
0: The well done by you, by the way, uh, and hopefully those of you who are listening to the audio version of the podcast can at least kind of in your mind's eye see a little bit of what what John's talking about there. The the issue there, John, is what I mean. They maybe score right three points, maybe even a touchdown. They were kind of moving that drive a little bit. You get some points. It's towards the end of the second quarter. Maybe you hold Pittsburgh to three or zero points. You keep the game manageable. You get the ball after the half. And now you have an opportunity to really kind of keep this game close, maybe start to gain some positive momentum, and it just snowballs on yourself. And, uh, you know, I I understand that they're down some personnel there, but like you said, the the stunts – that the offensive line seems to face that seems to be a chronic chronic problem uh, in their protection schemes. They they just can't seem to consistently block well against mm-hmm. that that kind of showing.
1: Burrow's two worst games this season. Clearly, the Ravens in this past game against the Steelers. The Ravens came out, you know, blitzing the hell out of Burrow and disguising those blitzes, and he and the offensive line were a little bit ill-prepared to face it, and then a little bit ill-prepared to actually react to it on the fly. And I think Burrow got sacked almost like 10 times in that game. Steelers, I mean, they, they shut him down in a different way. They didn't really blitz him as much as the Ravens did. They blitzed him a decent amount, and it got to him at least towards, I think, the end of the game. That's when the protection started falling off. But it was the secondary in the back seven that was playing coverages that took away a lot of what Burrow has had success uh, going to this year like he's pro football focused, his highest graded passer in the quick passing game which is just like your first read like just quick throws over the middle and they took that away with just just how they align their coverages and they played a lot of two deep safeties that that took away some of these vertical routes down the sideline and it forced burrow to kind of attack the deep middle of the field and i think it was like over oh for three on those throws so the steelers came out with a perfect game plan in terms of their back seven and you combine that with, with what the Ravens did with their front four, the, like those are two clear uh, schematic designs of, of how to rattle Burrow so far this rookie season. And that's where we've seen his worst two games. Like we knew that the Steelers' defense was on that caliber, or if not better than the Ravens, and that was going to be a challenge for him. It, but they just attacked it in a little bit different ways. And it, it's just, it's, it's a bad combination when you have a rookie quarterback who's still adjusting and learning on the fly in his rookie year, and you have a play caller and an offensive. Uh, Mine and Zach Taylor, who's also still learning as he goes, like these games are going to happen, unfortunately. And when you and then when you have a defense that can't really hold its own towards the end of the game because they're so so battered, it's just unfortunately a recipe for disaster. And like it it just it just compounds on the narrative of this game of just one team just being completely ill prepared and ill-equipped to handle it.
0: You touched on it a little bit and I think it was a little bit of a factor personally. So I want to get your opinion on it. The burrow ankle issue in the second half, obviously his number number disparity between the first half and the second half was huge. And I already saw a clip. I think it was from Matt Minnick on Twitter where uh, it was a ball that sailed. He had T Higgins open, I think doing a corner route to the, to the sideline there. And he just sailed one on him. And as I looked at that clip, I noticed that his footwork, and I think that was in the third quarter, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. Uh, His footwork looked very odd to me. He had a very wide stance, much wider than usual, and he kind of didn't seem to fully set himself to make a good throw. Granted, quarterbacks miss throws every game. That's just, I mean, the best ones just miss a much smaller amount (laughs) than than the other ones do. But I kind of, when I saw that specific clip, and maybe I'll try and search for it here. I, I just thought that that ankle injury might've been bugging him more than a lot of people were letting on.
1: It's true. I, I'm i not surprised that Burrow denies that it had anything to do with it. I'm not surprised that he's just blowing it off as nothing. Like, it just seems to kind of fit his personality, but it was pretty evident. He was just so off in the second half. I think he threw the ball 15 times. And when I charted it, like, like at least 60% of them were just bad throws. They were bad decisions that he made all throughout the game, but they were just inaccurate. They just weren't placed in the spots that he usually was. But I mean, Anthony, I want to get to your comments on this because obviously Burrow had had struggles, but the running game for the most part, like so Piran had, had success throughout the game. Whenever he got the ball, he only got the ball like seven times and Givar Bernard didn't really have that much success. But in this game, like I know people want the offense to run the ball if Burrow's having struggles, but when you're at, in that hole that early and you've had success throwing the ball this season like you had a top five passing offense for the for the past three or four weeks entering this game it it doesn't surprise me that the Bengals wanted to lean on that passing game because that's where they get the majority of their success but like what exactly does quote-unquote AFC North football do for you in this game if if your defense can't hold its own and you have to be playing from behind and you have to rely on that passing game regardless if your rookie quarterback is struggling like what is the, the, the traditional or a stereotypical AFC North football do for you, even if you have marginal success in the running game, if you're down in that hole, like, what does it do for you? You know, I'm, I'm confused.
0: Well, that's a, that's a great point. I said this in the, in the post game show, there's a lot of things. If you looked at this, if you didn't watch the game and you looked at the stat lines and you say, well, geez, Burrow didn't throw an interception and the Bengals ran for 150 yards and they held the Steelers to minimal yards. How did they lose this game by 26 points? Right, I mean, you, you look at those stats alone and you're going, I, I just don't get it. Well, there's a little bit of, the Bengals ran the ball pretty well on Sunday, but there's a lot of fool's gold in there. There was the Sean Williams fake punt. There was a lot of runs that were kind of when the game was out of control uh, and, and the Bengals were just trying to kind of keep Burrow clean, but Normally, I would say, you know, in a in a tighter contest, yeah, you know, you mix, you, you find some balance, you mix the running game in, especially when the weather being what it is, and maybe you see some struggles from Burrow throwing in this type of weather. But um, you, you're right. I mean, the strength of this team is passing the ball and a lot of times short controlled passing, which equates to a lot of times kind of quote unquote running the football, right? You can get those four, six, seven yard plays on early downs and and do that. And I think – I can't remember who said the comment before about the Steelers crossing routes, right? I mean, the Bengals, they've lived off that quite a bit too, the the drag routes, the crossing routes to be able to kind of get themselves in good positions on certain drives. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't think – traditionally I would have said, yeah, you know, you kind of want to be able to run the ball in this weather, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the strength of this football team right now is burrow passing the ball and in these short and intermediate areas. And unfortunately, whether it was the ankle injury or other factors, that just wasn't really consistently there, particularly in the second half.
1: Right. And when you start punt, 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 turnover, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, it, like it, I think they were still running the ball, like at least for 40% of those plays. It's just, when you have this bad of a game past the ball, your chances of, being competitive or just slim to none. Like no, no matter how good your running game is or no matter how much you use it, if you can't throw the ball with any degree of success, and Burrow started terribly in this game in the first quarter, that's how the Steelers had like five or six possessions before like 20 minutes had passed in the game. And, I mean, they only scored, I think, like three points in their first four or five possessions. Defense did a lot in the beginning of the game to limit whatever they, they could do, but eventually those floodgates kind of broke. They scored their first touchdown, mm-hmm. I think, on – on their fourth possession and then the Bengals had to just kick it do anything to, to get points on the board and they scored their first touchdown i think two possessions later so yeah you would obviously in a perfect world you want to run the ball well every single game but you need that passing game just to, to stay competitive like this, this this isn't this isn't the afc north of the old the steelers didn't have the most success running the ball in this game like james yeah. connor was 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 limited fairly well i think the Bengals run defense played very well in terms of just stopping rushes to the edges. I thought their linebackers played really well, you know, scraping over the top and forcing plays back inside. Eventually when you're down two cornerbacks, like teams are going to pass the ball on you with free will. And you have to counter that with a passing game of your own. And that just didn't happen. The only thing,
0: and uh, this may be a complete and total reach, and you may laugh at me when I say this, but the only thing in which I can see why the Bengals were maybe running the ball a little bit more, especially in the second half when things were kind of out of control um yeah keep burrow clean with the ankle injury that sort of thing but uh, you know i think also like you said a lot of the drives were punt, punt punt you know is there any kind of idea for the coaching staff to be like dude we got to give our defense some kind of a breather instead of just pass three and out you know what i mean that that would be the only thing one of the only reasons i could see why maybe they were doing that later in the game
1: right but you also need a good offensive line to go up against that dealer's defensive line right and while TJ Watt and he had to, he had two sacks and four pressures, but some of them were a little schemed and he got them on like stunts and he cleaned it up. Um, he he was held fairly much in check by Quinn Spain at right tackle, which we should definitely give credit for in pass protection. Came Hayward and stuff Steph- stuff onto it. Um, They didn't have a lot of uh, actual pass rushing production, even though they were going against Michael Jordan, who struggled in this game. So for the most part, the pass rush was neutralized run defense. though, they they were, they were holding their own. And it wasn't like the Bengals were exactly running all over them and and had, and were able to have success in doing that. So that's kind of why I think we saw what they were trying to do in the beginning. But if it's that unsuccessful, it's just hard to get out of that hole. Yep. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
0: into the stat of the week because it pertains to this game a bit as well as some other games but again in case you're new this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast it appears we have some people watching us via twitter so when we record the show live you can apparently watch us there now so that's awesome as well as cincy jungles facebook page and our orange and black insider youtube channel right under john's left shoulder is the subscribe button to our youtube channel you can get our content as well as chalk talk video breakdowns from matt minnick and all of our stuff as well as orange is the new black is part of the cincy jungle podcast channel so if you're more of an audiophile and you like to listen to the program on a podcast streamer we're on all the major ones so check it out we've had a uh, a really fun year despite the Bengals not being so good and, uh, you know, a lot of other things happening in the world. We've had a pretty good year in terms of guests and growth of the show and all of that. And we can't thank all of you enough for that. So thank you. John, stat of the week time, buddy. I compiled some data that is, and it's it's actually kind of stats of the week because I compiled the six games that Zach Taylor has played again I didn't count the Browns because yeah the Browns are pretty good this year but for the most part almost every single year to get to the playoffs and to get through the AFC North you got to beat Baltimore and you got to beat Pittsburgh and you got to at least be splitting with them at a minimum to be able to be in the playoff picture if you're an AFC North team so for the time being even though the, even though the Browns have had quite a bit of success against the Cincinnati Bengals um, we're, we're gonna put that aside for right now. We're going to focus on the Ravens and the Steelers in the six games under Zach Taylor against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. The Bengals have been outscored John 178 to 56. Cincinnati has never scored more than 17 points in those six games and are averaging 9.3 points per game. The Bengals are obviously 0 6 against those teams And they are 1-9 in in division games so far the past two seasons. Uh, I'm a little speechless just saying it. (laughs) I just decided, I'm like, how how bad is this? How bad is this looking at this point? That's pretty inexcusable. I had
1: had to look it up while the game was still going on because this was the fourth, no, this was the third Steelers-Ravens uh, game for the Bengals this season. They have three, more. no, they have two. What am I saying? Yeah, wait. There's only four. Three. Jesus Christ. Two and two. Yeah. Yes, they have they have two more to go. They have a Steelers game and the Ravens game, and they've all they've already lost both games to the Browns. So that's right. They've they've already played four AFC North games this season. I had to look it up. The last time that the Bengals were swept by the entire AFC North was back in 2002, which
0: I had a feeling you were going to go there. (laughs) I didn't know which was was
1: Shula's last season. Like I I know like getting swept by the Browns was obviously something that uh, probably Mike Brown didn't seem like that. That was a big part of, I think, in why Marvin Lewis uh, got fired in 2018 with, with like no one likes getting swept by the Browns that, that's already happened right that, and that happened in a very embarrassing fashion a couple weeks ago and then they came back with a good win against the Titans getting swept by the entire AFC North it, it's like no matter how much growth that the Brown family still believes or has seen in Zach Taylor that's a very very tough pill to swallow they have another game against the Steelers on Monday night in about a month God knows how that's going to turn out their basically only chance is to face the Ravens team. That's kind of struggling on offense right now. Like a lot of people are trying to think they figured out how to stop Lamar Jackson in that offense. And that's the last game of the year. And who knows that the Ravens are still going to be in playoff contention. And the Bengals probably won't like that game is going to be monumental because Zach Taylor does not want to go down to history with not, not, not Dave Shula, uh, uh, D- Dick LeBeau. Yeah. Um, Dave Shula was 10 years before 2002. So that's not a good company for him. And I mean, the results speak for themselves. Like getting outscored, what, 120 points in six games? It's not good.
0: That's not good. That's not good. And this isn't, you know, a, a rally cry to fire them all or anything like that. But guys, I mean, the, the numbers are speaking for themselves right now. Uh, and I, I understand that this team has been a team in major transition since Zach Taylor has taken it over both seasons. I understand there's been challenging off seasons in both seasons that he has taken over the coaching staff. But, John, look, man, you got you got your franchise quarterback this year. You spent a ton in free agency. And I know the injuries have hit hard, but, I mean, the results are pretty much the same at this point. I mean, I know there's a lot of games still left to play, some winnable. You've got two and a tie this year, and you had two wins last year. And then 0-4 uh, oh in the division so far this year, 0-6. Oh against uh Baltimore and Pittsburgh thus far. It's it's mind boggling.
1: Mike Brown's like eighty-five and he's thinking to himself, I don't know how much longer of of this that I can I can see. Like if 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 they don't feel like they're close at the end of this season, it, it's gotta be now or never for Zach in twenty twenty one if he gets that opportunity. And I think we still can can say that he's going to get that opportunity because I think they still believe in him. And they, they they believe in him and they believed in him enough for him to get the job. And we haven't seen anybody get, get fired that that quickly under Brown's reign as owner. But man, like progress needs to happen fast. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people were expecting that to happen in this game because the Steelers may, may not be as good as their record says. But no matter how bad for a 9-0 and team that they are, they're still outclassing the Bengals in every single way.
0: Yep. Yep. So... If you need a recap, I'll tell you real quick in the six games under Zach Taylor against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, the Bengals have been outscored 178 to 56. They've never scored more than 17 points in those six games. And they're averaging 9.3 points in those contests. And then of course the division record in general over the past one and a half plus seasons is one and nine under Zach Taylor. And I mean, I know Marvin Lewis had a ton of flaws. His philosophy was always, "You got to win the division. You got to win the division." And I think Zach Taylor has kind of echoed that mantra. It's not even close. It's not even close. And and like you said, John, things have got to change. There are some statement games for the Bengals to to be had uh, here. I mean, there are some ones in there that you can go, "Yeah, that's a nice win." We'll talk about potentially one coming up here in just a few minutes against a team that seems pretty beatable. But like you said. There's, a, there's another Baltimore and another Steelers game out there, especially the Monday night one. Uh, if they get embarrassed on that Monday night one, man, I, which I, I don't want to say, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse there, but I, the results I'm speaking to here point to that being a possibility. And if they get blown out on national TV again at home against the Steelers, you might have the torches and pitchforks out. Yeah. That's the stat of the week, folks. Sobering one. I apologize. I know uh, maybe some of us view us as the negative Bengals guys, but we're trying to keep it real for you. And unfortunately, stats are stats, numbers are numbers, and quite often numbers don't lie. And that's where we're at with things under Zach Taylor at this point in the division. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. We're going to talk about the Bengals week 11 matchup against the Washington football team in just a second. Just a reminder to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel to get our show, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, as well as Orange is the New Black, the podcast by Ace and Zim. We hope you've enjoyed our little... Crossovers the past couple of weeks over the bye week and the week leading up to the Steelers game We did a lot of collaboration and and I think that will continue. I hope that will continue So we'll be doing a lot more of that and of course bringing you not only this deep dive analysis show on wednesday nights, but listener questions live throughout Much of the fridays of the month our pregame show from narragansett beer to get you going before kickoff our postgame show to wrap up the results. And then of course, we'll start your week off with the Monday, I don't know, water cooler talk or news jump, whatever we want to call that. But we got a lot of stuff for you on our specific show. So thanks for tuning in.
1: So we must move on. That's what the Bengals are doing. And that's what we must do as well. There is a Sunday afternoon matchup in Landover, Maryland with the Washington football teams. The first time the Bengals are playing there since 2012. If you remember that game, that was the, Game Muhammad Sanu came out in the first play and threw an absolute beauty of a bomb to A.J. Green to start yeah. the game. Team looks a lot different now. Both teams really do. Um, ben Baby, good friend of the program, actually pointed this out. Um, this is a game between two quarterbacks who were drafted first overall and were coached in college by Urban Meyer. We have Joe Burrow not facing Dwayne Haskins, who on, in the preseason docket looked like that was a possibility. He's facing Alex Smith, who made his first start, since 2018, before he injured his leg and had 17 surgeries and almost lost his life because of it. But the Washington football team comes in with a pretty good defense. And that's, I think, the biggest uh, talking point with this game is that, you know, the Steelers, we knew that they were going to have a, a, a great defensive showing and we're going to, and they were going to put a lot of pressure on Burrow and force him to win in ways. The Washington. Uh, it's not that caliber of defense, but you look at that defensive line and it's still full of studs. You have Chase Young, who's the clear favorite to win defensive rookie of the year. He may not be playing as well as he did to begin the season, but he's Mm -hmm. still a guy that you have to focus on. You have guys like Jonathan Allen, who is one of the most underrated defensive linemen, I would say, in the entire league. Deron Payne, Matt Iandotis, you still have Ryan Kerrigan there. So there are guys that are clear, bona fide quality starters. And I I look at a couple of things in here, like. One, they're still a decent pass rushing team, but they're not quite at the level with the Steelers. And I think a lot of people underestimated how well the Steelers brushed the passer compared to the Colts, even though the Colts had a good defense. But, I mean, it, all the attention, I think, has to be uh, with this Washington defensive line going up against the Bengals' offensive line that played pretty well, considering they had a rookie at left tackle playing a second-career game in Akeem Adenergy and a career guard in Quinn Spain at right tackle. We don't know... What that offensive line is going to look like this week, but I think the attention has to start there.
0: Most definitely, the uh, the Washington football team is they, they're pretty good at rushing the passer in terms of sack numbers, etc. They've actually disallowed a lot of passing yards as well, um, which is kind of it's it's kind of the 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 what, what's the the old adage, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole or vice versa mm-hmm. or something something like that. I mean, it's not like a lot of household names, like you said. I mean, Chase Young, of course, being the number two overall pick, he is kind of a household name. But the the fact I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, oh, my gosh, Ryan Carradine still plays for this team. Um, you know, it's 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 like uh, – it's a lot of guys that you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I kind of remember him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dar- Ronald Darby's at cornerback. he's He's pretty good. You've got a couple of other guys that – and maybe it's because the team just hasn't been that successful lately. But, I mean, they've got some guys on defense that, as a unit, they play pretty well. Uh, and now you've got Alex Smith coming in here, their their third quarterback that the Washington football team is starting this year. And, like you said, a really good story there. But uh, I, I am interested to see how the Bengals' offensive line regroups this week. And I'm, I'm also – this was a question I was maybe going to ask you – on the front end, John, but I guess I can, I can kick it back to you now. I'm interested to see what this offensive line group looks like in terms of starters this week, because you've got, and we'll pull up the injury report in just a second to go over that, but we, you know, you've got Jonah Williams probably coming back this week. It would seem Zach was a little more optimistic on that one. Um, Like you said, Quentin Spain has been playing well at two different positions, career guard, supposedly Xavier Suafilo is cleared to play. He didn't play last week or didn't start last week. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious what you think the alignment's going to look like for the offensive line this week, given kind of what we know on the injury uh, injury front.
1: Yeah. When we, when we tried to predict it last week, I think all of us were wrong because we, I think most of us thought that Jonah Williams was going to come back and he wasn't listed on the injury report on Friday. And then all of a sudden he just wasn't ready to play on Sunday. And then you saw identity and Quinn Spain of all people, you know, warm up at tackle. So it, it, I think one of Williams and Hart is going to play in this game. I think Williams was a full participant in practice on Wednesday. Hard was questioned. was limited and he's missed the past three games as well. I think you, you have to keep one of them still out there. I think both of them have shown enough to continue playing and, uh, the, like the two spots that you would assume is left guard and right tackle. Um, like Michael Jordan is just not cutting it at left guard right now. Like it, it's just not, it's not the progress that you wanted to see out of a guy who's in the second year. And I think they're still going to give him opportunities. And like the, the, the one spot that they might go to is right guard because Alex Redman, you know, he's fighting it out, but he's just not going to cut it either. So maybe they go back to suafilo He's clear of the practice, but they haven't like, Officially activated him off of uh, injured reserve and they, they did they did that with Sam Hubbard I think last Saturday. So that would be the path they would take with him. But you look at Spain and, and Adenogy, and they're they're showing good stuff, and they need all the they need all the good players that they can get on the offensive line. Once Williams comes back, he's going at left tackle, but right tackle you have Hart coming back from injury, and you have two guys in identity in Spain. I think you have confidence in just filling that spot for another week. And then the right guard, if Suofield is healthy, I think they're going to try to get Redmond out of there as quick as possible. So I, I don't know if I can make a prediction right now. I would assume it's Williams, Jordan, Hopkins, maybe Spain, and then Adoniji if Hart's not back. But who knows? That was our predictions last week, and look how that turned out.
0: Right. And here's the injury report pulled up for those of you either joining us live or watching the video stream later on here. You can see quite a disparity between the amount of names on <laughs> – on uh, both teams here, but that's kind of, I guess, how it goes for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, You know, a couple of decent names on here for the the Washington football team, uh, including their kicker, which is interesting. Uh, But, you know, you you see a a tackle and Ryan Anderson defensive end, a guy that that helps them out a bit up front. But um, it looks like starting safety, uh, DeShazer Everett, uh, didn't practice. So that, that may be something that to, to watch there. Dontrell Trell, in a wide receiver, didn't practice either going down to the Bengals, though. You have the veteran injury, uh, veteran rest days for Geno Atkins, Mike Daniels, and AJ green. Uh, congratulations to Geno Atkins and his wife, by the way, in case you had not heard his wife gave birth a little early to their, to their daughter. I believe it was a daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations to them. He obviously missed last week. I think there may have been, you know, just kind of some ca- caution there with that scenario. So, and Gino wanted to be with his family, totally understandable. So they let him do that. And he, uh, he I think, is still kind of hanging out with his family. Uh, we don't know if he's going to come back this week or not quite yet. But um, Mike Daniels, again, didn't practice. AJ Green didn't practice. Joe Mixon, the old day-to-day, John the old day-to-day for Joe Mixon. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Jermaine Pratt had an illness, obviously not COVID-related. Otherwise, that would probably be noted, and he would be... Well, on.
1: It, it was, though. It was. Oh, it was. It, so so him, the story of that is him and Jesse Bates were deemed as potential close contacts ah, that's right. COVID-19. So they were evaluated for that during practice, and unfortunately, I think Bates returned in time to get some practice in, but Pratt not. So neither are on the COVID list, neither have injuries, but they, they just had to be evaluated, evaluated for that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you've got that issue. Mackenzie Alexander and LaShawn Sims, both battling concussions. Uh, LaShawn Sims got one late in practice last week. He came back limited. Mackenzie Alexander got one early in the Steelers game. He came back limited. So cornerback's looking a little bit better this week, uh, potentially in terms of getting some guys back and being a little more deep there. Um, still no news on Trey Waynes, though, has not been activated or anything like that. So I don't I don't know if this year is just going to be a wash for him. Uh, so at any rate, and then you got Jonah Williams going full practice. Uh, so some guy named John Sheeran wrote that up on cincyjungle.com. So that's where we're at with the injury front of things. John, we kind of criticized a little bit the – run game and should the Bengals be utilizing it? I guess for a lot of people that want to know, is this the week that the Bengals should maybe focus on that a little bit more potentially with some guys like Jonah Williams returning to the, uh, to the lineup?
1: Well, you have to look at the matchup like Washington is a very good run defense, run defense unit, like with their defensive tackles, with their edges, with their linebackers. They are really sound in defending the run. So you can go into this game and you can say, hey, yeah, we want to be more balanced like we were against the Jaguars when we just ran over a team that's going to be picking second overall. Like Washington's record may not be much better. They're two and seven in this game, but. That's one of their strengths. It might be it might be their biggest strength as a team. They are really stout against the run, and it's really hard to get movement against them. Bengals showed some some positive signs the run game against the Steelers, specifically with the G and Spain. I think they both looked fantastic in those aspects. And Trey Hopkins had a really good game at mm-hmm. center. And even like the best plays that we saw from Jordan and Redmond, like th- that's their strength is getting, generating movement on on the ground. So. Yeah, you can go into that with, with it being the plan, but if it doesn't work out, you have to adjust and you have to rely on the passing game, which is which is the one area that they can have success against this defense. This, wow. The Washington's secondary is actually a little bit better than I think people give it credit for You mentioned earlier Ronald Darby. He's playing pretty well at cornerback. Uh, DeShazer Everett uh, at safety, he's playing pretty well even though he's on the injury report. So this defense, like you said, it's talented on all three levels, and you can go into it. Thinking, yeah, you need to run the ball a bit more. But if you're running into guys like Chase Young and Jonathan Allen, and they're just plugging gaps. And Giovanni Bernard and Samajee Pirine aren't getting anywhere. You can't just run the ball for thirty more times. You got to be able to pass it too.
0: The longtime criticism of Alex Smith has been kind of a little bit. He's been known a little bit as Captain Checkdown, right? Uh, he's he he doesn't go for the big play. He kind of lives to lives to play another down and. You know, he he can he I don't know so much anymore, unfortunately, because of his injury, but he used to be pretty nimble. He can move, he used to be able to move quite a bit. How much does he scare you this week, um, if at all?
1: I didn't really get a chance to watch him that much against the Lions. I know he had like a ton of passing yardage in that game. Yeah, 390, um, I think. Yeah, I mean, it is the Lions, and they're not really <laughs> a, gr- a great dominant passing game or anything, but like, I, I don't know. I mean, he's still been in the game for a long time and he's had most of the season to just kind of stand by and and just take notes and just get himself prepared to go in whenever he had to go in he's now played three games and his stats like don't look that great he's at, like seven yards per attempt he threw a, a couple of interceptions against the giants which is when he first came in uh, this year a couple weeks ago so like he, this is the quarterback matchup where burrow should be the better quarterback even though he's going up against a, a defensive line and a defense overall that can Potentially give us some trouble, but I mean Alex Smith. I mean, who who knows at this point? You know, he could have you know moments of greatness of you know the Alex Smith of, of the old. But this is still a guy that's now in his I don't know like sixteenth year in the NFL at this point with bare, with barely two legs under him. You know, if, if there's an opportunity for the Bengals passers to catch fire, it would have to be this game. Um, like they have decent offensive alignment, but you can't imagine that Smith is going to make a lot of plays with his legs and extend a lot of plays out of the pocket. If there's chances for Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson to kind of finish sacks that they haven't really finished this season, this is the game, you know, it's, it's Alex Smith. And he's not, he's not the athletic mobile quarterback that he used to be. They have to take advantage of that.
0: We're going to get to our, uh, we're going to call our shots and drop the mic in just a few minutes here. Quickly, John, what, what do you think are some of the keys for the Bengals to come out victorious this week?
1: <sighs> yeah, I I would, uh, I think it just starts offensively it's just a bounce back game from Burrow it's taking what you learn from what the Steelers did and applying it to now this is still a defense that shouldn't be taken that shouldn't be taken lightly it's going on the road it's playing this in a situation that the Bengals haven't won in two years like Zach Taylor still doesn't have a road win on his resume you can't go into you can't go into Landover and think this is just a this is just a pushover. This is a game that a lot of fans just chalked up automatically as a win, but it's on the road. It's against a really good defense. It requires a great offensive showing to get a comfortable win for the first time in Zach Taylor's career to get a win on the road. It, it's not to be taken lightly, and it has to be a good offensive showing. They have to have more success throwing the ball. It, it's plain and simple. They can run the ball as well as as well as well they want, and maybe, maybe they can get away with that. Maybe Alex Smith has a terrible game. Bengals' defense steps up with whoever's playing a quarterback and it doesn't matter what the passing game does. And they could just rely on the running game. That game is one out of 10. It's not the old NFL anymore. You need to be able to throw the ball. They need to protect Burrow against this defensive line. They need to show progress from what they did last week, because entering the Steelers game, they were a top five passing offense. And then it just all went to crap against a, a secondary and a defense that knew what they were doing and knew how to counter what the Bengals did best. So it's taking those lessons, applying it coming back out strong against a good defense on the road.
0: I agree with you. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, that was kind of my key, but I'm gonna go a little more specific, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it too. I, I, I kind of would. I kind of feel like someone else besides T. Higgins, and maybe even Tyler Boyd. But Tyler Boyd was a little quiet last week. But someone else besides T. Higgins needs to step up on the receiving end. And I, I kind of am wondering at this point. Is A.J. Green a big key to any game going forward or is he is any production from him just now going to be kind of icing on the cake? I, I feel that this is a game based on their past defense being pretty strong, uh, their defense in general being pretty strong, that even if A.J. Green is a second or third option in this offense right now, I kind of feel like he's a guy that needs to set, step up. Five targets last week, goose egg in the catch catch column. I mean, is is it is that even should we even rely on him anymore? Or is this should we still be saying, yeah, he is a big key to this offensive success?
1: I don't know, man. Like I, I look at how his season started and the the easy assumption is like, OK, that's just who he is at this point. And then he comes back with two very solid games against against the against the Colts and the Browns. And that was following um, people speculating. If he said trade me on the bench against the Ravens. And you're thinking, okay, he's got some glimpses of old A.J. back, and then he just completely disappears against the Steelers. Now, in, in fairness, I, I think there is some issues with him and just Burrow being on the same page. I think it's it's been extremely obvious that Burrow has more chemistry with Higgins and Boyd, at least you know, with the routes that they're running and where Burrow's placing the ball, and it's just not been on that level with Green. And I don't know how much that has to do with Green missing some time in training camp and just not – getting a lot of reps with Burrow in the off season. But I mean, it's week 11 now. It doesn't look like green is struggling with any injuries. Like th- these two should be on the same page for how good AJ green is. But I mean, I don't know, man, like, do you, do you think that that, that the, the green that we saw from October is he's capable of coming back towards the season or it, this is just kind of who he is. It was more of who we saw in the, in the first half.
0: It's a good question. I, I think that if you notice a lot of those, that success in those games were the short drag crossing, you know, routes where he was able to kind of snatch the ball across the middle and move the sticks. They weren't the big, big plays. And when they've tried to hit some of the big plays to green, he is just not out muscling corners. He is not out jumping corners. He is not coming down with the football in the end zone. So it's, it's hard to sit here and say, you know, yeah, there's there, because there, there were signs of the old AJ being there, but then there's so many signs saying no. So I think, I think at this point that, you know, you can look to Larry Fitzgerald's career and, and kind of what happened with him and how he has transitioned to a different receiver and kind of a second, third option in that Arizona offense, especially now with Hopkins there. And Larry Fitzgerald was an idol of A.J. Green for a very long time. So maybe that's where A.J. Green's career has to be headed at this point. More of an interior option, a short yardage option where he's not expected to stretch the field so much as he did early in his career. But, I mean, I, I kind of think they, they need to get him going. They need to get him going. And I think, you know, there's going to be some coverage bracketed to Higgins, probably to Boyd too, if not this week, then the weeks ahead. And they got to start getting the ball to him. And they got to start making some positive plays there. I, I mean, I, I think it could only help things. So
1: um, that's kind of my take. And, and if not, and we saw this against the Steelers, it's up to Aud Tate and Mike Thomas to carry, to carry that. Like we've seen from both of them, some flashes this year, especially in games where green was just kind of a non-factor and against the Steelers, both just really underwhelmed. And again, it was on burrow as well for making some inaccurate throws, but Tate is at least under contract going into, into 2021. And I think, at this point, he's probably just like the replacement on paper if they don't bring back or when they don't bring back Green for 2021. So he's got to, he's got to show that he's still worthy of being in the starting lineup going forward if that is the future w- without AJ Green. So I, I would want a big game from him going up against these Washington cornerbacks to, like you said, take the pressure off of Higgins and Boyd because at this point, I mean, Boyd is his number one target on these underneath throws, and Higgins is the number one target when going vertical, so there's got to be one more piece to kind of put everything together, and I, I would think Tay would be the best guy to do that.
0: Yeah, Ross, Green, Thomas, and Alex Erickson are receivers that are all in the final year of their respective deals, so Cincinnati's got some decisions to make at that position group. We've talked about that before. Let's uh, call our shot. And then we'll drop the mic and get out of here. You got any uh, predictions, John? Scores, things that will transpire this week? Anything that you want to just lay out there for us?
1: I understand why Washington is favored in this game. Like I would probably, if I were just an outsider looking at this game, I would probably expect Washington to win. Just be just based on the fact that Cincinnati's never won on the road. They're coming off a terrible loss against the Steelers. And Washington has a good defense that can counter a lot of what the Bengals do. For some reason, though, I feel like Matt, against the when before the Titans game, I just kind of feel like the Bengals are going to win this one. And I know that I get a lot of flack from our from our listeners for being just a pessimist and always predicting the Bengals to lose. But for some reason, I, I just feel like they they have a chance to really bounce back as an offense. They're going to get some guys back on the offensive line. I think Burrow's going to be protected for most of the game. But, I mean, it... it I think we've seen some resiliency from Burrow from at least week to week in terms of just coming back from bad games and kind of putting stuff behind him pretty quickly. He's got an opportunity to make a statement against a really good defense and on on the road for the first time in his in his career and Zach Taylor's career to get, actually get a win and a solid game out of it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Bengals win this one. Not big by any means. It might be a low scoring game overall, but I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they pull it out.
0: It it they blow it out.
1: No, they're, they're going to pull it out. Pull
0: it out. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, that would be the first road win of Zach Taylor's career. So uh, I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree with you. I think that Cincinnati does win this week. I don't know that it'll be you know something. It's probably going to be actually a nail-biting fashion. Um, but I do think that they win this week. I, I think this is one of those patented – I guess I'll give them a backhanded compliment here. This is one of those patented games that – ownership, management, etc., will point to to say, see, we're moving in the right direction when some certain <laughs> talking points will be made in the offseason. This is the type of game that they'll say it was a road game. So I, I think that they will win this one. Maybe it'll it'll start a rattling off of some wins, including the Giants and Cowboys, et cetera. But uh, you know, I think I think that they win this one. I, I agree with you on the Burrow front as well. I think Burrow has a nice bounce back game and I don't think he rattles off multiple bad games in a row. That's just not really who he is. So I think the Bengals win this week. I'm pretty optimistic about it. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. Anything else for us, John? What 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 you got for us this week before we bounce on out of here?
1: Nothing too special. Just keep safe, guys. Like, I mean, there's a reason why Washington is not allowing fans in the stands in this game. The entire NFL is going into intensive protocol, I think, starting Saturday. This thing is no joke and it's still very much a part of our lives, so just do what you can to, to limit it because right now it's not looking very good.
0: It is It is uh, getting more and more prevalent around the league. That is for sure. More, more and more reports on that. I, I just want to say uh, just some – It sounds like it's actually less severe than I thought, but uh, I want to give some thoughts to Andrew Whitworth, um, longtime Bengal. And he, you know, he initially, I said less severe than originally thought. It looked like he teared a knee ligament and maybe that's career over. It looks now that maybe he's possible to come back for the postseason if, if, and when that is uh, a possibility for the, for the Rams there, but great guy. I met him and talked to him and just a really, really awesome guy and, uh, you know, it's he actually kind of like seems to be playing better with the Rams after his great career with the Bengals, arguably. So, uh, at any rate, I I know a lot of, he's got a soft spot in a lot of Bengals fans' hearts, including my own, so uh, I just hope he heals up and continues to play good football because he's a great guy and a great football player.
1: That was scary when I heard that he potentially had a bad leg injury, but I think, what, he's he's out for like six, eight weeks, so he could return for the playoffs or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So hopefully that is the case and he keeps playing football because he's, he's still doing it at his age, which is awesome. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks for tuning in live. Thanks for tuning in after the fact if that's how you catch us if you're able to catch us live every Wednesday night please do so we've got a number of different shows throughout the week that we record live and love the listener and viewer interaction so we appreciate all the feedback we appreciate all the viewership for John Sheeran I'm Anthony Cazenza we'll see you soon